you know, it happens more often than you would think. Uh, I'll meet someone new, and when I mention that I'm from Northwest Arkansas, uh, one of their first questions will be, oh, do you know the Duggars? <laughs> Anybody else get that? Am I the only one? Yeah, I see some hands, right? It's like, they're, they're this, you know, and for those of you who aren't from this area or um, are blessed without having cable TV or the ability to read, um, <clears throat> the Duggars are a are a local family who have become famous and now somewhat infamous for, uh, for having a very large family and having a television show that, that talks all about that family. And um, a lot of people don't know that they're also part of, part of a, a philosophy called the Full Quiver Movement. And the Full Quiver Movement is one that, that basically is rooted solidly in the text that we're going to look at today and espouses that, that, as it says, children are a gift from the God, therefore you should receive that blessing just like any other blessing that you would receive, and you should put no constraints on having children whatsoever. That you should just have as many children as often as you can with that, and as a result, you get sometimes you get families like the Duggars. Now, I have serious issue with that interpretation. Not, I don't have a problem with big families, per se, but I definitely have a problem with using this text in that way as justification for that. As a matter of fact, I have a number of problems with the way this text has been interpreted. I think in some ways, um, a text like this can feel like a dunk truck load of shame. It can feel, it can make people feel um, like they've done something wrong, like God has abandoned them, God has left them out, or somehow they have disqualified themselves from God's blessing. And so we're going to look specifically at that this morning and see if we cannot come up with a different meaning. So let's go right into the text. Psalm 127, one of the Psalms of Ascent that we're studying this summer, it says, if God doesn't build the house, the builders only build shacks. And I'm using Eugene Peterson's The Message uh, interpretation this morning. If God doesn't guard the city, the night watchman might as well nap. It's useless to rise early and go to bed late and work your worried fingers to the bone. Don't you know he enjoys giving rest to those he loves? Don't you see that children are God's best gift, the fruit of the womb? His generous legacy, like a warrior's fistful of arrows, are the children of a vigorous youth. Oh, how blessed are you parents with your quivers full of children. Now we know that something's going on here, or at least God has a sense of humor, when immediately after he says he gives rest to people, he mentions children, right? Because those two do not go together with that. <clears throat> But there's some other things in the world are in here that we're going to see. Maybe there's something deeper going on. So first of all, we need to disqualify everybody in here who this psalm doesn't apply to. Okay, so if you want kids and you can't have them, you're disqualified. If you have kids and you don't want them, you're disqualified. Uh, if you're not fully rested, sorry, this isn't for you. Uh, if you've ever felt defeated by enemies or anything, something that you couldn't do that you didn't have victory over, you're out. 
Um, and also those of you who feel like you work your fingers to the bone and you don't get the reward of that, this isn't for you. So is anybody left? Because I was disqualified pretty quick with this. So if everybody in here is disqualified from that, in that intentional way of reading it, let's see if there might be something yet for us. Pray with me. God, so often scriptures like this, teachings like this, have left us feeling disqualified or discouraged, lacking or wanting. And yet we confess that your scripture is here to encourage and enlighten us, is here to show us deeper truth that would draw us closer to you, not push us farther away. So we ask by your Holy Spirit that you would enlighten our minds, our words, our understanding, and our conversations that will ensue after this morning about this text to bring us hope, deep, substantial, unshakable hope. And we pray this in the name of the one who came, died, was raised again, and ascended to heaven to give us that hope, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Now listen, um, we need to understand this psalm as a way of giving us encouragement. Now, that's not to say there's not Scripture that aren't challenging. Listen, there's plenty of Scripture that will lay you bare. There's plenty of Scripture that I read that feels like having surgery done without anesthesia. I don't think this is one of them. Again, the cultural context of this, this was a psalm that the people would sing as they were going up to the temple in Jerusalem as part of the festivities, as part of the feast. Now, we can think of that as a happy, everybody's getting along, everybody's singing and joyful and and doing all that stuff, or those of us that have ever taken a trip with family, with children, we can understand that it's probably something different. It's hot, it's dusty, the kids are asking, when are we going to get, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Uh, You know, we're having to do meals on the road, the whole thing. And this song, I believe, is a way of giving context and encouragement in the midst of circumstances that don't necessarily line up to what the psalmist portrays with that. Another way that we need to understand this in the context of them going up is that when they use that word household, when it says, unless the Lord builds a house, don't think three-bedroom, two-bath, nice yard, you know, something that Pete is offering uh, out on his website with that. Don't think household with that. This household is more the idea of of your extended family, of the people that you're responsible for, the people that you have influence with with that. This is a a different context. And then last, children. You know, we think very differently of children in this day and age than previous generations and other cultures. Uh, Julie Isaac was very um, prescient in pointing out that, that children here were kind of the insurance policy. You know, if you didn't have children at this day and age, uh, and when you got old, when you got older, you were done. 
So it was kind of an economic deal as well as they loved their kids. They did, but there were some different things going on. So how do we understand this? How do we gain hope from what kind of seems like this perfect thing? Well, first of all, we have to understand what the psalmist is saying here. Unless the Lord builds the house. Uh, there's, a, there's an idea that resonates with me in much of Scripture, and it's the idea of necessary but insufficient. And the, the idea of necessary but insufficient is kind of like clouds. Can it rain from a blue sky? From a crystal clear blue sky, can it rain? No, it cannot rain. If there are clouds in the sky, will it rain? Maybe, right? So clouds are necessary for rain, but they're insufficient in and of themselves to guarantee rain. So what we see in this text is, is something of this idea of necessary but insufficient with us. Are we, are we to give up work? Or are we just to stop working? Hey, unless the Lord builds a house, doesn't matter. I'm just going to kick back. You know, it's not that at all. We're still working, we're still laboring. But we understand that all our efforts are necessary, but they're insufficient. In and of themselves, they are insufficient, that God ultimately is the one who does these things. That ultimately it is the Lord who establishes, who blesses, who protects, who gives rest, who does these things. And I find, I find a great amount of peace in that. I find a way forward between two extremes. One is kind of the romantic ideal that, hey, I don't have to do anything. I can just give up. I can just kick back. I can just live my life however I want. And if God wants to do it, God will do it. Inshallah. As God wills. In a way, I find mo many Christians today are more theologically aligned with Islam than they are with Christianity. This idea of inshallah, whatever God wills will happen. doesn't matter what I do. And that's kind of this romantic way of looking at it in a way. And the other side is the defeatist way. Well, it just doesn't matter what I do, you know? Like I'm just going to work and do my thing because I can't control God, so I'm just going to do that. And I find this idea of necessary but insufficient is a way of mediating that, is a way of walking through that, that, that encourages the effort without taking too much control, without demanding an outcome, without being the one who it is all about with that. So how do we walk that path? How do we get there? Well, first of all, I think we have to understand this is a communal psalm, as is most of Scripture. If we are going to read the word correctly, we have to read it like Southerners, y'all. Because most of the time when it says you in the word, that is the plural. But the Yankees didn't recognize the necessity of y'all, so they just use you for an individual and for a group. But most of the Bible is written in Southern if there's a whole lot of y'all in the Bible. And one of the ways that we need to understand, and one of the ways I think that helps us find hope in something like this, is when we realize we will read this and we'll, and we'll immediately, in our Western culture, in our individual culture, we will reduce it down to our individual context. 
all of a sudden we'll just view it through my personal experience, my life, my individual life, instead of understanding that most of this often is written about the community. And then when we back up and we look and we go, yeah, I may be having a hard time, but not everybody is having a hard time. It it starts to balance that out. And then when we start to balance it out, we go, hey, I'm blessed right now, but maybe not everybody else is blessed. It brings a balance to that. And so when we read the Word and we read something like this, and he says God talks about establishing things and guarding things and doing things, your experience at any given moment may not reflect that. My experience at any given moment, it may not feel like this is true. But if I can back up a little bit, if I can start to look around, if I can kind of get out of my own experience and look around at those that God has connected me with and the people that God has put me with and the community there, well, then that perspective starts to change. This psalm helps us to lift our head up and look around us. So at first we have to read like Southerners. Seven, secondly, we need to take the long view. Just, as, just like we can be overwhelmed with what we lack, we can also be even maybe more overwhelmed with what we have, with what has been given to us. The responsibilities that we have the obligations that we have, the things that are put upon us, those things can crush us. And again, in that immediate experience of the moment, we can feel hopeless. We can feel like it's never going to change. Now, listen. I know this can feel like cold comfort. I know this can feel like the person who's safely on the shore shouting instructions to the person who's being tossed by the storm. But when we start looking around in community, what we start seeing is a variety of experiences and a variety of perspectives. And what we start to see is that we can see beyond our immediate sight if we will look through the eyes of others. Now, that's hard to do in our society. Again, we have an individualistic society which tries to get us to filter everything through our personal experience. Likewise, the narrative in our society is a great amount of tension between generations. How many films have we seen? How many books have we seen where you've got the stodgy old people, right? And they're entrenched in their ways. And then the newcomers with the vision and the energy, they come dancing along, right? And they're going to do the dance. They're going, to, they're going to change the way things are done. And there's this incredible conflict between the old people and the young people. I mean, it's a motif that goes throughout our entire society. It, it colors the way we look at everything with that. And again, I know it's, I know it's hard to accept at times. But y'all, we practice an ancient faith. We practice a faith that is far beyond the years of even the oldest among us. 
We practice a faith that has been handed down generation to generation. We, have, we practice a faith that is the collective wisdom of thousands and thousands of years. If there is anything about Christianity, is it draws us not only to look back, but to look through the eyes of others to see beyond our immediate circumstances. And not to judge the goodness, the badness, the capacity of things by our immediate circumstances. I mean, look, this is Father's Day. And, and I get it. I get why we do that. But as a faith, we, it's, it's always Father's and Mother's Day. We're always, should be, seeking to honor those who have gone before, those who have passed on, those whose testimony is written for us in the Word and through the testimony of the church as a whole. And this psalm is calling us to understand that how we feel right now won't last forever. That as bad as it seems, we won't feel this way forever. And as good as it seems like it's going to be, there will be challenges ahead. This psalm helps us lift up our heads and look a long way down the road, even into eternity. Last, there are things that threaten us. Whether it's people or situations, we all have enemies of one sort or another. For some, they seem far off. They seem momentarily at bay. For others of us, they seem to be kicking down the door and threatening to overwhelm us at this very moment. If by community... This psalm calls us to look up and look around at those who are around us, those who can share our burden and whose burdens we can share. And if it calls us to take the long view, to look way beyond our immediate circumstances, to look generationally into the future and understand our present task and obligations and work as something that will bear fruit, it will bear fruit in the long run then this last part calls us to lift up our heads and look up and realize that we have a defender. We have a Savior. We have a Messiah who has done, is doing, and will do everything that is sufficient for our salvation. Listen, that's why, that's why we make the effort to come on a Sunday morning and sing the songs. It is to lift our heads. It is to be lifted up. It is to have our eyes lifted up. It is to remember our Deliverer. It is to proclaim our Deliverer. It is to confess our Messiah. It is to confess the one who will defeat the enemies. Because we cannot do it alone. None of us is capable even as a community, we're not capable. God is our defender. God is our deliverer. Jesus is our Messiah. And we need to be reminded of that. This psalm, then, as we understand it in this context, 
not as justification for some extreme form of family planning or some way of putting shame on those who haven't fit all the criteria that are described here. Instead, it is life-giving. It is hope-giving. It is head-lifting. It is sight-giving. Perspective-changing with that. I'm going to invite the worship team back up now. And listen, I, you don't get this in one dose. This doesn't just happen from 20 minutes of talk on a Sunday morning. I mean, this is, this is deep work, but it starts here. It starts here. It starts with this. It starts with letting this scripture lift our heads so that we can look around at the community God has given us as Grace Church. And then we can look beyond and see the promises that God has made for the generations to come that will be blessed because of your obedience here today. And then we can look up as we go to face our enemies and we feel them kicking down our door. We can know that God is our defender. I'm going to invite you up to the communion table which we come as that act of faith, as a renewed act of hope. Jesus knew our frailty. Jesus knows our frailty. He knows our limits. And he invites us to his table. All of us, equally. And he feeds us from himself. Not an idea, not a platitude, not a promise, but himself. He feeds us so that we share in Jesus. We take on Jesus as we share at his table. And then we take and we return that in praise. We give our offerings. We pray, we meditate, and we walk this out. And this week, as you walk this out, this week as you're assailed or challenged, I want to encourage you to meditate on this psalm. Let it lift your eyes to look around, to look long, and to look up.